0: Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm St. John Flynn of Houston Public Media.
1: And I'm Eric Skelly from Roco, River Oaks Chamber Orchestra.
0: And this time we're talking about not one, but two operas, Eric. It's a twofer. It certainly (laughs) is. Because Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci have, I think since 1893, been performed together. They sort of meld together on the same program because they're both relatively short, and so you can make a a nice evening out of putting them together, one in the first half, one in the second half.
1: And stylistically, they just go together. They're both uh, prime examples of the Verismo movement in opera, which roughly corresponds to the realism movement in literature and, and painting. And musically, they go well together. They are, well, the Verismo movement in opera, someone once described it as taking... All of the big climactic movements of, of Verdi and stringing them together for a whole opera, <laughs> which is a little reductive. But, but it, it, is, it is very emotive. The subject matter tends to be sort of these simple folks, the, the peasant folks. More down no, to earth. Very, very down to earth. <laughs> down in the earth oftentimes.
0: Well, there is that sense of, of sort of social realism. Completely.
1: Uh, it, it tends to be a little melodramatic, you know, but uh, but that's the style. That's the way Verismo works best. You know, just sort of embrace the luridness and
0: <laughs> So an opera like La Boheme, for example, would that fit into the Verismo style?
1: Arguably, yes. Uh, there are al- there are also folks that would argue no, that the Puccini has has basically taken off on his own and is is doing something beyond Verismo. Of Puccini's operas, Il Tabarro from Il Tritico is probably closer to, uh, to the Veristic uh, style book. Some would argue Tosca as well. Uh, and, and some would argue Bohem, I mean, in that it is, talking, it is dealing with a group of young students, you know, in the Bohemian uh, garret. And uh, it's about, you know, their lives and loves and not about elevated aristocrats and kings and queens and gods and goddesses, but very much the common folk.
0: What we're going to focus on today, though, are the cav-pag pairing, Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci. And we'll start, uh, as we should, because it's always cav-pag, not pag-cav.
1: It always comes first. It I don't always... know why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, of course, it was written first. Cavalleria Rusticana debuted in 1890 in Rome. By Pietro Mascagni, and it is set in a village in Sicily. Yes, and it's essentially Easter Sunday. Right,
1: and if you know, if you ever watched the Godfather movies, <laughs> you know that the Sicilian life in the in the 19th century is all about tradition and, and very strict social mores, and and we'll certainly you know get a really big taste of that here in this opera.
0: There are things that you do and things that you don't do, and loyalty and honor and retribution, etc. cetera, are the things that kind of construct society that 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 society of that time was built around.
1: Yeah. Inevitable consequences to to actions that, you know, once set in motion, cannot be reversed.
0: So here we are, Easter Sunday, in this uh, Sicilian village, and the opera opens... With Turidu singing off in the distance to Lola,
1: <laughs>
0: her name was Lola.
1: Her name was Lola. She was not a showgirl, <laughs> <laughs> but she uh, she, as it turns out, is somebody that uh, Turidu has been carrying on with quite a bit.
0: They were engaged previously, and then he went off to be a soldier, and. While he was gone, she got married to somebody else. She got married to Alfio. Yeah. And so when he comes back, she's no longer available. Well, uh, ostensibly. <laughs> 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 yes. Sorry, air quotes, <laughs> yeah. available. And Turidu takes up with Santuzza because Lola is married. Yeah. doesn't take long for... The old lovers, to get back together again. Mm
1: -mm. No.
0: (laughs) And so at the start of the opera, this is where we are. Turidu is extolling the virtues of of Lola. And he's singing about what might happen to him as well. And then the village starts to come to life as day breaks, etc. And Mama Lucia is opening up her cafe, her wine bar yeah. uh, in the town square and people are getting ready for the big Easter celebration
1: and then we hear this really mournful motif come into the, to the bases and this, this signals the entrance of Santuzza who is sort of furtive she's kind of trying to avoid people But she's come to see Mama Lucia because she has something she kind of wants to confront her about.
0: Santuzza is in this awful position of having been excommunicated Yeah, because of her relationship with Toridu.
1: And specifically because she's
0: pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it every time. (laughs) She is
1: pregnant with his baby and they are not married. And that is not okay with the, you know... Extremely by-the-book Roman Catholic society that exists in 19th century Sicily.
0: Of course, the uh, opprobium of society falls upon the girl, not upon the guy. Yeah. But she is in this awful predicament of being an outcast. Yeah. And she wants to talk to Mama Lucia.
1: And she first, she asks if is there. And Mama Lucia says, no, he's gone off to Francofonte to get some wine. And and Santuzza
0: says, oh, Oh, no, no, he hasn't. (laughs) (laughs) He's been hanging around Lola's house. And she had seen him uh, the night before and knows that he couldn't have gone off to Francofonte to to buy the wine.
1: Yeah. And it's at that point that Mama Lucia invites her to come inside because she doesn't want any more of this conversation to be overheard. And Santuzza says, no, I can't. I can't come in your house. I'm excommunicated. I'm outcast. So Mama Lucia, you know, wants to hear from Santuzza, what have you what have you heard about Turidu? And it's at that moment that we hear uh, a whip crack and that presages the arrival of Alfio. Alfio,
0: who is Lola's husband.
1: And he, yes, he's a teamster and he comes you know, driving his his donkey cart into the into the square, singing this sort of happy song about coming home to his beloved wife.
0: <laughs> 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 oh boy! <laughs> he sees Lucia and asks her for some wine, and she says that uh, she doesn't have any; she's run out, but that Turidu has gone to buy some more. And then <laughs> Alfio says, "Hang on a minute, I." I saw him near my place this morning.
1: Yeah. Uh, At that point, Santuzza whispers in a very sharp aside to Manaluccia, be quiet, don't say any more. (laughs) So Alfio goes goes along, and uh, the church starts to uh, become a hub of activity uh, as the choir inside starts to sing the Regina Celi. And the people in the square join in, and it becomes a big, big number, in which Santuzza, off by herself and completely shunned and excommunicated, but she joins in the song and she sings. Uh, she sings this. I guess you would. I guess you would call it an aria with chorus. di non è morto. It's a. It's an Easter hymn, and it grows and it grows and it grows until it's this big, thunderous, Easter hymn. With the the chorus going full tilt, the orchestra is going full tilt, and Santuzza is soaring over the top of it, It is a it makes a big impression every time it's performed.
0: What is so startling is that despite the fact that she has been excommunicated, she has not lost her faith. No. She very much wants to be able to go into the church and to celebrate Easter with everybody else.
1: But can't. She's reduced to having to stand outside and... Watch and join in from afar. So, Mama Lucia asks Santuzza why she shushed her when they were talking to Alfio. And Santuzza's response is the very famous aria, Voi lo sapete, in which she tells everything to Mama Lucia. It is not to be confused, as I often do, with the aria, Voi que sapete, from Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. Out. I do that all the time. It's Voi lo sapete.
0: So Lola explains to Lucia what it is that has been going on with her and Turidu. Yeah. And that she cannot enter the church. She's going to be excommunicated uh, because of being pregnant. Yeah. yeah. She has a bun in the oven.
1: Yeah, she does. And she ultimately um, asks Mama Lucia if she would go into the church and pray for her son Tutsa.
0: Then Turidu arrives. Oh, boy. (laughs) We're almost almost halfway through and he hasn't been out on stage yet. But now he comes out. And Santutsa takes him to task for claiming that he was going away when, in fact, he didn't. Yeah. He was actually off seeing his bit on the side. Lola.
1: It starts to, uh, yeah, basically Santutsa abases herself and pleads with him. I still love you. I still forgive you. She tells him, but you've got to come back to me. That you know, it, it's it, it becomes really pathetic, actually. And they're interrupted then huh, by who else but Lola? Lola, Lola, who comes jauntily singing this little ditty uh, about the, the the lilies, and she's you know she's just carefree and she's just wandering in and goes, oh. Hi, Santuzza <laughs> and Turidu.
0: But she mocks Santuzza.
1: Yeah, she is not a nice lady. <laughs> she really is not. And she, uh, she, you know, takes a few jabs at Santuzza and then saunters on into the church, you know, scot-free. Uh, at which point uh, we get this incredibly intense duet between Santuzza and Turidu. Turidu basically telling her, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about your problems. You know, we're done. And Santuzza is pleading with him and pleading with him, please listen to me, come back to me. And it just escalates and escalates and escalates until finally, Turidu just really just pushes her away, uh, you know, and says, I just don't care. (laughs) Delira tua non mi curo. I don't care about your anger. And she, in a rage at this point, in desperate, she says to him, the one thing that you just don't ever say, <laughs> if you're a 19th century Sicilian, she says, A te la mala pasqua, spergiuro. I wish you a bad Easter, I swear it. I mean, this is... Apparently, in 19th century Sicily, this is the worst thing you could say to anyone. She basically, she basically cursed him. Is what she did.
0: He leaves and goes off, following Lola into the church. And who shows up in the square again? Alfio. Oh boy! And he's looking for Lola. Yeah. And Santuzza, seizes her opportunity, Ooh. and she, uh, she. She tells Alfio exactly what is going on. Yeah. And Alfio swears a vendetta. Yeah. It's another of those great Sicilian concepts. Right. The vendetta. Right. And then, of course, as soon as he does that, Santuzza feels guilty for having uh, disclosed the affair. Oh, good Lord, what am I And begs Alfio not to, don't do it, don't do it, of course, to no avail. It's too late. Yeah, too late. The scene comes to an end and we have the famous intermezzo. Yes. well-known
1: as a concert piece yeah independent of the opera itself yes
0: at the end of the intermezzo the villagers come out of the church the Easter service is over and Turidu is feeling good and he invites everybody to come to his mother's place for a glass of wine right and then he has this wonderful drinking song. Another drinking, another another <laughs> opera with a great drinking song yes. in it. Viva il vino spumigianti. Yes. Hail to the bubbling wine. And he has a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> he does not hold back. He's celebrating Easter. He is. And then Alfio arrives. Ugh. And yeah. Turidu offers him a glass of wine, but he ain't taking it.
1: No, he's not. He wants only one thing. and uh, they, in sort of in a Sicilian custom, they embrace and Turidu bites his ear. It's kind of an acceptance of Alfio's
0: challenge to duel to the death. So having accepted the challenge in an unusual way,, yeah. <laughs> off they go. yeah and everybody then is left wondering what's going to happen right they're all afraid because they know that these two men are going off to fight before he leaves though turidu
1: asks for his mother and he says to her you know mama i i drank too much and i've i i am in real trouble here and he he basically he makes his last farewell to her because he knows that this could end with his life And he begs her to take care of Santuzza if this turns out badly for him.
0: Which is unusual in the sense that here he is faced with the prospect of of dying. And his thoughts go back to Santuzza.
1: Well, he knows that, you know, he knows (laughs) this is all his fault, essentially. Santuzza played her part, you know, in a moment of passion she... She spilled the beans to Alfio, but, you know, as as careless as Turidu and, and Lola were being, this could very well have have happened regardless of Santuzza's involvement. Basically, this is his doing, and he's the one who got Santuzza pregnant. And, you know, I think he feels guilty and, and feels a need to at least provide some measure of care for Santuzza, who is friendless and outcast in their community. And so he asks his mother to swear, and she... She agrees to, and uh, Suturito so goes off to find Alfio.
0: As he leaves his mother, he asks her, Un baccio, mama, un altro baccio. Where have we heard that before? Otello. <laughs> Otello, exactly. A kiss, one more kiss, another kiss. Mm-hmm. And then he says his farewell, and off he goes. Santuzza arrives back in the square and goes up to Lucia and hugs her and the villagers are all starting to crowd around because they know that something is going on and that something is going to happen and then a voice comes from the distance a blood curdling scream actually a blood curdling shriek and you
1: hear off stage a woman going "Ano amatsato compari Turidu they have murdered neighbor Turidu" and she comes running into the scene screaming that And Santuzza just falls into Mama Lucia's arms. End of opera. End of opera.
0: What is so interesting in many respects about this is the fact that all this goes on against the backdrop of the church. Yeah. And the Easter service and that juxtaposition of the humankind and the divine. And how it's so difficult to negotiate those relationships, that relationship between our humanity and the spark of divinity that is in us all. Yeah. So that's Cavalleria Rusticana.
1: There's Cav. (laughs) Now on the peg.
0: (laughs) We should talk about the significance of the title. Cavalleria Rusticana. Rustic Rustic Chivalry. Chivalry. Because there is an irony there, isn't there? Mm -hmm. There's not much chivalrous behavior going on here anywhere to be seen. But at the same time, what happens is a product of this code. In the same way that chivalry in the Middle Ages was a code of conduct, here this rustic chivalry is a code of conduct that leads the other way rather than leading to... uh, life and uh, immortality etc it leads to death
1: yeah and lurid death at that i mean you know a stiletto in the gut that's that is not a
0: <laughs> not a nice way to go that's
1: not a that's not a noble death by any stretch of the imagination
0: pietro mascani's cavalleria rusticana we move on now to the second part of the proceedings and that is Ruggero Leoncavallo's Pagliacci which debuted in Milan in 1892 2 years after Cavalleria rusticana and it's said that, that Leoncavallo was inspired to some extent by Mascagni and the success that he had with Cavalleria rusticana
1: and the interesting thing about both these operas is that both composers had successes in their time, but by, by this point in the 21st century, they're pretty much considered one-hit wonders. Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci are really, for the most part, the only pieces these composers are known by. Now, you might find someone to do L'Amico Fritz by uh, uh, Mascagni, you might catch excerpts in, in concert from Leon Cavallo's Sasa or his his version of La Boheme, but it is very unusual to see any, th- any stage performances of any of those operas. Really, it's just Cabin Pag.
0: With Pagliacci, it's uh, set in the 1860s in Calabria, and much like uh, Cavalleria Rusticana, It's set on the Feast of the Assumption, another great religious festival. Right. And it concerns this troupe of traveling players, Pagliacci. Pagliacci. (laughs) But as the opera opens, it opens with the prologue, Tonio, who is one of the players, the clown, Mm -hmm. comes out on stage and addresses the audience. Directly. Breaks the fourth wall. And in this wonderful speech... Monologue. Monologue sung... Yeah. He basically says, what you're about to see, you have to remember that we are actors portraying characters on stage, but we have feelings. We as actors have feelings too. And I love the way that right from the very beginning... There is this sort of complete mixing of life and art. Yeah. and
1: Life imitating art imitating life.
0: (laughs) Because as the curtain rises after Tonio's monologue, we have a play. We have the opera. And then within that play, we have another play.
1: And we know that this opera, the, the plot of this opera, was based upon... A real-life incident that Leon Kamala remembered from his childhood, an actual murder from a, from a, a troop of traveling players.
0: So when Tonio is talking about the play that the actors are, are performing, which is he talking about? Is he talking about the play that the Paliacci put on in the course of the opera or is he talking about the opera as a whole? As the opera opens, the villagers are excited because this group of players, the Pagliacci, are arriving back in town as part of the uh, Assumption festivities. They are going to perform that evening.
1: And in this tiny little village, that's a big deal. They're so excited that the Pagliacci are coming back to town, and they're all abuzz, and they're all talking about it, back and forth, back and forth. And then they get more excited. They're here, Son Qua. Here they come. They're coming. Canio
0: is sort of the lead actor. Yes.
1: He's the head of the troupe.
0: And Neda, are they actually married, or are they just an item?
1: They don't really specifically say that they're married, but they are clearly together. He regards them as married, regardless of whether or not they actually have a, a, a license or Marriage a, a, a ceremony or, or a contract or anything. Mm-hmm. He being an older, he being older than she is, he took her in. and They may be married, but, but, but he f- very specifically thinks of her as, as his. his. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. She doesn't think entirely along the same lines, though. Well, she's young, and she's kind of
1: tiring of this life. She wants to be free, actually. And she, she actually, you know, after everybody disperses, she sings this very famous aria called the Balatella. It uh, starts uh, with the word the words, dono la su. She's, she's watching the birds, and she's watching them fly and looks and she, she envies them their freedom. And then she sings about it in this beautiful, wonderful aria that ends, you know, as she mounts and mounts and mounts up higher and higher and then ends on this big, sustained high note. As she imagines herself being able to fly and, and be free like the birds that, she, that she's been watching.
0: Canio is a very jealous
1: man. Possessive, because you know, one one senses that he is not entirely unaware of the fact that his younger partner, wife, wife <laughs> partner, <laughs> is starting to feel constricted by the life that they lead.
0: And in fact, they're on their uh, wagon where they they do their plays, etc. And at one point, Tonio goes to sort of help Neda down, and Canio. Does not want him putting his hands on his woman.
1: Yeah, and we find out why after Nedda N- N- has finished with her balatella, Antonio comes over to her and is kind of brazen. I mean, I mean, he, it's 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 kind of pathetic because Antonio is is a hunchback. He's not physically the most attractive man in the world, uh, but he is completely smitten by Nedda. N- and is very much in love with her, and tells her so. I mean, he he really wants to have her return his feelings, and she's she's a little bit callous in her response to him. She's she kind of mocks him, uh, kind of cruelly actually, and sends him on his way. And as he's walking away, he's kind of muttering to himself, "Boy, I'm I'm going to make her sorry."
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, and he does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Canio and Beppe go off into town to go drinking. Neda stays where they are because she has arranged an assignation Mm. with Silvio, who is her lover. Yes. And they meet, and they whisper sweet nothings in each other's ears.
1: Yeah, quite loudly, actually. (laughs) This is Verismo, after all.
0: (laughs) Not realizing that Tonio sees them. He's been watching. He's been spying on them. And of course, this is his opportunity for revenge. To right. get his revenge on Neda for dismissing him so rudely. So he goes off to find Kaneo, while Neda
1: and Silvio continue having their <laughs> assignation. Trist. Their trist. That's, that's a better <laughs> word. So, as Neda and Silvio are making love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) K-I-S-S-I-N-G.
1: Yes, they are doing. They are doing that. That is true. As they are going at it, (laughs) Tonio comes back, and he's got Kanyo with them. And he points them out to Kanyo, who flies into a rage. Silvio bolts... Nedda stays put And Canio gives chase But isn't able to to keep up with Silvio
0: And he doesn't know who this man is He doesn't know it's Silvio No, He doesn't know And that of course is the trump card As far as Nedda's concerned She She knows that There's not much that Canio can do If he doesn't know who Her lover is
1: So there's only one
0: Outlet for his rage he threatens her yeah. with a knife. Yeah. Befe steps in to defuse the situation because they've got to prepare for that evening's performance. It's showtime. And Tonio says to Canio, don't worry because her lover is bound to be there at the performance this evening in the audience. So all we need to do is look for the telltale sign as to... Who she's looking at, who she's giving the eye to, etc., and we'll be able to, we'll be able to figure out who the lover is. Canio then is left alone to put on his costume, and he sings one of the great arias in all of Italian opera, "Vesti la Juba
1: Yeah. This is the one that. I mean it, it transcends opera. People have heard the climactic line of this opera who have never seen an opera before. Uh, this is the one where he's putting on his makeup and he's looking in the mirror and he says to himself, Ridi Pagliaccio, sul tuo amore infranto, laugh clown, though you know, though he has to he has to put on the smile for the audience. Behind that mask, he's in tears for his broken heart.
0: Which, of course, goes back to what Tonio was saying in the prologue. Yeah. About the actor might be full of sorrow and sadness, etc., but has to go out there and be happy and funny for the audience. Yes. End of scene one. End of scene one. As the next scene begins, the villagers are arriving for the evening's performance. Neda is going to play the role of Colombina. Yes. So we're back to these Commedia dell'arte figures. There's Colombina, and there's Taddeo, and there's Alecchino.
1: Alecchino is, is, I think it's Beppe, Beppe. Mm -hmm. and Canio is Pagliaccio. And what do you know? (laughs) The play within this opera has Pagliaccio, Canio, married to Colombina, Nedda, who is cheating on him? <laughs> and he finds them in flagrante delicta. <laughs> That's the play within the play. Oops. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so the villages all gather. The play starts. Colombina is having an affair with Harlequin behind Pagliaccio's back. Pagliaccio comes and finds them in one another's arms and is supposed to react Comedically, But he can't. He can't. Because, because it's real life. Because it's real life. And art and life have become inextricably intertwined for Kanio. He doesn't know where one begins and the
0: other ends. And so he's, in essence, he ceases acting. And Nader realizes that he's sort of going off script. Yes.
1: And he becomes, he's becoming increasingly violent.
0: At this point... The crowd don't know what's going on. No. They just think, wow, what What a great performance." performance.
1: Yes, exactly. But he's getting more and more violent. And she's starting to get really, really worried because, as you say, she realizes he's off script and it's going in a very dangerous
0: direction here. And she says to him, don't forget, we've got an audience. Let's not take it too far. Does yeah. he listen to her? Oh, no, he does not. No,
1: he's, he's out of his mind. He is, he's literally out of his mind.
0: When she reminds him, though, that they are players on the stage, he has this, uh, this aria. No Pagliaccio non song. Yeah. I'm not Pagliaccio anymore. No. This is me. Yeah. And he's got a knife.
1: And it escalates and escalates. Neda tries to get away from him. And Canio runs after her, catches up with her, and stabs her.
0: And as he stabs her, she calls out the name of her lover, help me, Silvio. And so Canio knows who the lover is. She's named him. And Silvio comes running out of the audience
1: to help her. Not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) He gets the knife, too.
0: And then we have... That wonderful final line, "La commedia è finita."
1: Yeah, and originally, it was supposed to be said by Tonio,
0: but sort of bookending the whole thing, he does the prologue at the beginning, and he has this this sort of short epilogue, "Right, La commedia è finita. The comedy is finished. The comedy is over."
1: But it's almost never done that way. It's always Canio who looks at what he's wrought, looks at the two deaths he's just caused. Drops the knife, and as, as he's about to be, you know, apprehended and presumably tried and, and executed, he says, "That's it, La Commedia è finita. Comedy is finished. End of opera. End of opera. End of Cav. Indeed, it's an intense double bill. It is really intense. The, the nice thing is that in Cav you have that that intermezzo. I mean, he, he, Mascagni ratchets the tension it ratchets it up until it's almost unbearable. And then he gives us a little break. <laughs> he lets us relax for a moment before he ratchets us up again. And Leon Cavallo, with his score, does much the same thing. He gives us moments like Nedda's Balatella, and then there's a short interlude after Canio sings Vesti la Juba, where he just gives us a little breathing room and lets us, you know, catch our breath and and you know relax for just a moment before all hell breaks loose.
0: Talking about these two always being paired together on an evening's program,
1: and we should also mention they're not always paired together. No, no. Lots of lots of experiments have been done. I've seen uh, companies put Pagliaccio with Puccini's Il Tabarro. There have been some really. Unusual pairings,
0: some that sort of make you go, really? (laughs) You paired that with that? But in many respects, the pairing is natural because they are, at the same time, they're both Verismo masterpieces, Yes, and they share so much in common thematically.
1: They share DNA, practically.
0: They're so well-suited to one another. Pietro Mascagni's Cavalleria Rusticana and Ruggiero Leoncavallo's Pagliacci. This week's Opera Cheat Sheet, I'm Sinjin Flynn.
1: And I'm Eric Skelly.
0: Thank you for listening.